Welcome to Crossbridge. If you're a guest with us today, I'd especially like to welcome you and say thank you so much for joining us. And if you've been with us for a while, thank you for coming back and being with us. And I want you to know whether you're new or whether you've been here, that my hope and my prayer for you is simply that no matter where you are in your faith today, that you would take one step towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. I just came off of a crazy wedding season. I think it was two weeks ago. I had three weddings in eight, eight days, and it just felt like it was one thing after the other. And I will tell you, it is an unbelievable privilege to be able to officiate weddings, and, and I love it, but it is also an immense amount of work for me. And one of the reasons is because I mandate that every single couple I'm going to um, be able to bring them together the way that God intended in marriage is I make them go through months of premarital counseling with me. I spend hours upon hours with them, and, and, and that's a lot of time with Jimmy. It just is for anybody. But I do this for a really specific reason. And, and that's simply this. The more time that I can spend with each couple, I can begin to see the issues or the fights that they are going to have. The niceties begin to fade after a little while, and then all of a sudden, reality and secrets start to bubble up. I love that because, you know me, I love the messy, because if you can learn to deal with those things, then you can really find victory in your marriage. And so I want to set these couples up to do that. But I have realized over, you know, 15 to 20 years of doing marriage that the fights that we talk about in premarital counseling are the same fights that most couples have when they get married. And they usually, the two biggest fights that marriages have, any idea what they are? They're about sex and money. Sex and money are always these issues that people are fighting and they begin to bubble up. These two areas of each of our lives, individually and as being part of a couple, there's nowhere I think that we can get off track quicker that's gonna put us in a ditch faster that's going to take a lifetime to get out that these two areas, sex and money, are areas that we need some guardrails in for our life. So for the next two weeks, this is what we're gonna talk about, the two biggest fights in most relationships. And we need to set up some guardrails for ourselves to do this so that when we do that, we know that our future regrets will be less because we don't have the stories to tell. And you know from the last two weeks, when I talk about guardrails, what I'm simply talking about is that they are a system designed to keep a vehicle from straying into dangerous or to off-limits areas. Guardrails are meant to protect us. They're meant to direct us. They're meant to be put into the safety zone, not the danger zone, right? If they're in the danger zone, it's already too late. And they're designed to minimize damage, even though they could be destructive. Just like with Jeremy last week, his car is totaled and yet he is fine. Jeremy, I am so thankful that you are healthy and that you have been protected in that accident. Sorry, your car is totaled, but that's what a guardrail does. It minimized the damage to him and something else paid the price for that. And Jeremy, thank you for giving us guardrails in our relationships last week. You did a killer job, man. Thank you. Guardrails are these things that we need. 
and they're going to look different for all of us. So the areas in my life that I need guardrails are different than you. And, and that's okay, so we don't really necessarily get to set up guardrails for everyone else because our danger zones look a little bit different. We all have, and I believe this, some sort of standard in our mind of what we'd like our life to look like. That we know what we want our marriages to look like, our finances to look like, our professional relationships, our family life to look like. And we have these standards. And what guardrails do is they kind of keep us focused on these standards. And we know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us these mm, kind of moments. These moments that cause us to pause because they're not going after the standard we believe that God has given us for our life. Culture will not celebrate guardrails. And I'm telling you that as we approach our topic today, not only will they not celebrate guardrails and want to lean towards painted lines in our lives, when it comes to our topic today, they, our culture, all that's around us, and I'll tell you, we've contributed to part of this. They're not only going to hate on those guardrails, they're going to do everything they can to rip them away and get rid of them. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his church in Ephesus, said those very things that we keep going back to. In, Ephesus, or in Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Today, we're gonna look at guardrails in our marriage and how to guard ourselves for our marriage if we're not married yet, how to guard ourselves in our marriage if we are married, and for all of us, how to guard ourselves from married people because we need some guarding against them. If there's any topic that our culture is going to want to get at, it's this topic right here, that they will lead us with painted lines and paint a line to the very edge of the ditch of our marriage and our sexuality and who we're supposed to be and God's called us to be, and then they will be the first ones to shame us as soon as we go over that line. The word that I'd like us to focus in on today is a word we don't really use often, and it's really not even used that often in scripture for that matter, but it's the word fidelity, fidelity. It's a Latin and it comes from the Latin, which uh, it has the meaning of faithfulness or loyalty. This idea of the word that we want to define most of our relationships. We're looking for loyalty and faithfulness, fidelity. In our marriages, all of us want this. And our culture will say fidelity, loyalty, faith, it's really not that big of a deal. And we created this monster that we live in that says your idea of commitment is really not that big of a deal. And, and just think about this, when you look at the movies, the music, the media, the books that we consume. If we are being entertained by it, almost everything we view glorifies sex outside the context of a covenant marriage where God has designed it for. It normalizes things like hooking up with whoever it is that you're around. Um, any random people, go ahead, it was a good night. It normalizes affairs and it's just part of what happens. And right now, if you jump onto Netflix, two out of the top three shows that are trending in the US at this current moment are centered 
around sexuality and sex outside the context of marriage. We watch this all the time, and it has become so normal for us. That is, until it actually happens to a friend or a family member in real life. Then, then it mortifies us, it devastates us, it actually disgusts us, and we stop and we entertain ourselves with this content, and then we freak out when it happens around us. How could we ever do that? How could they do this or cross that line? And the reality is we have built a system around us where there is no guardrail, but nothing but a painted line on the edge of the bridge, and that drop-off is steep. And as someone who walks with couples, I need to tell you, I walk with couples in all different steps of life. I believe that if we could get marriage, if we could get this one thing right, it would change everything around us. And I know that sounds so dramatic, but I absolutely believe it. I pray for it. I pray for you. I pray for my marriage, for our church, for South Jersey, New Jersey, the U.S. and the world, that we could get marriage right. Because if we could get marriage right, everything would change. There would be less poverty, less domestic violence, less unwanted pregnancies, fewer kids in foster care without their biological moms or dads. And we all know someone who's grown up in a home or maybe it's you, that your life could be different if someone had guardrails in their marriage. We all know how important this is. And God himself uses marriage as an illustration of his love and his relationship between him and the church. So, so let me just ask you then, if you knew this was so important, and if you were God, and you knew fidelity, loyalty, marriage, and, and it's how it works together was so important, and you got to inspire someone to write about it, what would you inspire them to write? What would you tell them to write? Would you tell them, you know what, just wait until you're ready. It'll be fine. Just protect yourself. That's what you need to do. Would you inspire them with, it's your body, your choice, do whatever? Well, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul who wrote what we read in Ephesians chapter 5 a minute ago, he actually has a moment where he's writing to a church that he has visited quite often. And it's a church that seems to have some issues because um, as, a, as a whole, he knows what's happening and they don't look that different from the church or from the culture that's around them when it comes to sexuality. That there are lots of gray areas and painted lines everywhere. And, and the Apostle Paul's writing to them saying, this needs to look a little bit different. I need to help you set up some guardrails because there is something off in the church. And if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you, if you would, to turn to the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians right now. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to send you one. Just let us know and we will send it. We would love for you to have this. This is where our truth is found completely. It's the best. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're just going to start at verse 18 and we're going to break it down nice and slow, okay? The first thing that the Apostle Paul says is to flee from sexual immorality. 
Now, let's, let's just hang on a second with these four words, flee from sexual immorality. Because I already know what some of you are thinking. If you have not been to church in a while, or you've always been to church and you think, oh great, now he's gonna start hating on sex. Now he's gonna start hating on all the things that happen and, and tell us that sex is bad and it's the worst. And, and let me just tell you right off the bat, that is not my intention. That is not what I'm going to say by any means. But the problem is when we bring that attitude to scripture, we interpret what it's going to say. We think we know what it's going to say. And the first four words that the Apostle Paul says here, believe from sexual immorality, you already believe it. You already believe this is true. And I know that because if you're married, this is what you hope for your spouse already. Husbands, go ahead and tell me, what do you hope for for the sexual integrity of your wife? that she would flee from sexual immorality. The same thing a wife hopes for her husband, a fiance hopes for their future partner, that, that a boyfriend hopes for their girlfriend, that a brother hopes for his sister, and a sister hopes for his her brother, and a parent hopes for their kids. What do we want for everyone else's sexual integrity, sexual purity that we love? What do we want from them? That they would flee from sexual immorality. So before you say, I can't believe this is what it's gonna say, you already believe it. You already are here with me. And what we want is for them to flee from where we live in a culture that teaches us to flirt with. We want them to flee from what our culture says flirt with. Get as close as you can to that line asking, how much can I get away with? But never telling you that the ditch on the other side, that one's going to leave a mark for life. And 2,000 years ago, Paul gets it. I love this. And he continues. He says, flee from sexual immorality, all other sins that people commit. Now, look at those words, all other sins. All other sins that people commit. Paul recognizes that, listen, we all sin in different ways. You and I, we, we mess up in all different areas of our life. But he points out here that sex and sexual sin is in a category all of its own. It is separate and it is different because it is uniquely damaging to who we are and to the people that are around us. Are we forgiven when, when we mess up in this world? Absolutely, 100%. But can we ever fully escape the consequences of this sin? And the answer is no, because the damage is already done. The consequences, we know they, they continue to pop up in our lives. And if you've been part of Crossbridge for a while, you know, um, or maybe you've been through our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class in our small group that we do, where we look at our family histories through a, um, a little practice, if you will, called a genogram, which is making a family tree. But instead of just figuring out how everybody's related to each other, you're beginning to look for patterns that follow themselves through your family generation after generation after generation, that things begin to come through and, and you will begin to see that sexual sin affairs and, you know, uh, kids outside of wedlock because promiscuity was just part of Life, half brothers and sisters, while you're still, parents are still married, all of these things begin to trickle down and you go, this isn't new. This has been part of our story. But one of the problems with figuring out any of those things is simply this, 
it gets difficult when it comes to sexual sin in people's lives because we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about it. And this is because sexual sin will make you a liar and a secret keeper more than anything else will. It will make you a liar and a secret keeper more than anything else will. We'll admit to all types of different sins in our life. In every area, it could be huge. But with this one, this one we hide. This one we cover ourselves up, which is one of the reasons when I'm sitting at a table with someone in premarital, this all has to be on the table. No secrets allowed. It's got to get out there. If you ever say, Pastor Jimmy, will you marry me? Your sexual history will be on the table. It has to be because your partner, your spouse, they need to know this. They're yours for life. If they don't know it, there's trouble because sexual sin has this ability to get its roots so deep into our life and we begin to worry, what if that person really knows about where I've been, what I've done and who I've been with? Will they still love me? And so we hide from that stuff. We keep those secrets from them because we are worried about what others are going to think about us. And Paul gets this. Paul gets it. Are those sins unforgivable? No. God's love for you does not diminish because of this. His love for you is huge. It is great. But these types of sins are in a category of their own and they carry consequences like no other area carries. We can recover and move on from almost anything that hits our lives, but sexually what has been done to you or what you have participated in willingly or unwillingly has the uncanny ability to follow us for the rest of our lives. That there are parts of who we are that are forever changed because of our sexuality. So Paul continues in this verse, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And, and I, I keep saying sin sexually, sin sexually, and I feel like it's important that we kind of define this because I think we all kind of have different ideas of what that might mean. And so when you look at the New Testament from Matthew all the way through to Revelation, where we have these teachings of Jesus and his apostles, when Jesus talks about sin all the time, he continues to bring up that it, for today, it's really going to come down to not loving someone who's created in and in the image of and by a loving God. That, that Sin is any time that we're not looking, living, and loving like Jesus did when it comes to other people. He valued all people, right? Every single person who came across his path, he loved them and he valued them. He honored them. And anytime we do not value, love, and honor the people who come across us, we're not lining up with Jesus. And this is sin. And we devalue people when it comes to sin sexually. And it's hard to be in a relationship with God when you don't value his children. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You, you start critiquing or getting on my kids, we're not cool. We're gonna have some issues. As Christians, we are called to love like Christ loved us, to bring value and worth into each 
person's life that is around us. And sexual sin here becomes a bigger issue because God loves the people that you're potentially hurting. And he loves you. God doesn't want you to hurt you. How amazing is this? When you take, though, something that was, that was promised or intended for someone else, and you take that from them, you are sinning against that person. This all really all comes down to valuing and cherishing every single person who's around us in our homes, uh, at our schools, on our sports teams, at work, at church, at youth group, at the pool party, at the beach, wherever it is that you go, God loves every single person you're staring at and I'm staring at. And he loves us too much not to say something about this area because of the impact that it could have for the rest of our lives. And this is why Paul says, listen, this isn't just a sin against others. This is a sin against your body. And you may be thinking, how is it a sin against my body? This is great. We begin to rob ourselves of the future intimacy that God has designed for one person. To be shared in a beautiful covenant, loving relationship with trust and transparency and beauty and laughter. And yet we rob ourselves of what could be the future. Sexual sin is just a different beast all to itself. And more than anything else, this is an area of our life, especially in the world that we live in now. That's evil that we need guardrails. Let's look at verse 19. It says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. I like how Paul shifts the conversation here a little bit. He takes it from a place of, of having consequences to our sexual sin to really making it about our identity, who we are. Do you know who you are? He says, like, do you have any idea who you are? And I think we value ourselves pretty low most of the time. We're super critical of who we are. And Paul says, like, listen, church, do you, do you know who you are? You're the temple. And to them, that meant something because temples were a place of sacredness. They were a place that was considered holy and set apart. For us, we think, oh, we're the temple. That's cool. That means nothing because we don't really think anything is sacred in our culture. And Paul says, no, no, no. You want to know what's sacred? You. You. And it doesn't matter who the you is that I'm pointing at right now. And yes, I am pointing at you. You are sacred. The Holy Spirit dwells and he lives in you. You are a sacred image bearer designed beautifully, wonderfully, and for intimacy with one other person. This is how we are designed. You are valuable. And you need to understand that the value that you carry, value is not in the container, but it's determined by what it contains. Value is not found in the container. It's found in what it contains. Um, I just got back from a trip in Colorado and I was away for a week. And the truth is, if someone stole my bag while I was traveling, it's not that big of a deal. The bag costs like 20 bucks, right? But if all of a the sudden they stole what was in the bag, 
my iPad, my IDs, my wallet, that extra cash that you keep trying to hit, you know, hide or whatever. If they stole those things, that's a much bigger issue. You, you, you contain the image of God. You are valuable. And this verse ends very simply with like, listen, you're not your own. Our culture hates this type of guardrail. And they teach us to say, yes, I am my own. It's my body, my choice. I can look at, do with, and experience whatever I want. No, you are not your own. And actually, that's a really good thing because not only does the contents of a container determine its value, the ownership also determines its value. I jumped on eBay today and I realized that if I wanted to look for a 1930s oak dining set, a set of chairs, I found a set of six for 300 bucks. It's 50 bucks a chair, right? Yet one of these um, chairs actually sold in 2016 for around $394,000, almost the same exact chair. Why would someone pay almost $400,000 for a chair when you could get one for 0.01% of that cost? Who would do that and why would you do it? It's because it's the very chair that J.K. Rowling sat in when she wrote the first two Harry Potter books. Someone paid almost 800,000% of its worth because of who owned it. Ownership determines value. And Paul says here, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Listen, you have value. You have worth. And your price was steep. That cost, that price, that value cost the life of God's only son, Jesus Christ. That Christ loved us so much that he paid the ultimate price for you and I, that for all of this sin, all of this baggage, all of these issues that we carry that push us away from God, Jesus says, I have given my life for you because you have been created in God's image and you are worth it. I desire to be in relationship with you and have given up everything for that. That's how valuable that we are. And, and I need you to hear this, that we belong to God. We are not our own. We belong to God and we've been purchased by him because of his great love for us. And so Paul finishes verse 20 with this. He says, therefore, because, right, because, therefore, therefore, because you're loved, because you've been purchased, because I need you to flee, because sexual sin has a different type of baggage that it carries, because of all these things, therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. And I think it's important that we should say, not only honor God with your bodies, but honor God with the bodies of those around you. This is not just about the consequences of sin. This is about valuing every single person around us who's been made in the image of God. This is about valuing ourselves and the fact that we are worth something. And it's not just worth giving away such an important part of who God's created us to be. And could you imagine if we actually saw people this way? Could you imagine how different our culture would look 
how different would our interactions with people be? How different would, would the stuff that we consume be? Fleeing was Paul's advice. And this means that we're going to need guardrails. And so I, I want to leave you with three guardrails today that, that little things that I hope will create a bumper for you, an ah moment from the Holy Spirit to guard this fidelity, faithfulness, this loyalty that you have in your life. And, and let me just say, if you've been with me up to this point, thank you. And you may now be saying, oh, this is where you're going to tell me all the things not to do. This is where you're going to tell me that everything's the worst. Listen, I, I, I'm not. But what I am going to do is say, listen, you may think what I'm about to say sounds stupid, sounds old school. It sounds archaic or just like, hey, listen, old man, I see all the gray. It makes sense that you hung out with Jesus and he said these things. You may think all of those things. And I want to say, that's fine. You could take everything I'm about to say and just toss it, throw it away. That's fine. But just do me a favor. Promise me, promise me, promise me, promise me that you will stop and make guardrails for yourself. You have to do this or you will go off the track. You will go off the road, off the bridge, in the ditch. It's done. It's going to happen without it. So you could toss it. But just bear with me because I think they're worth it. They're worth it. The first guardrails that I want you to have is this. Talk about it. Talk about it. I don't want you to just talk about fidelity in the, the context of you and your marriage between you and your spouse. This should already be a given. Okay, I'm assuming this for us. But what I need you to do is think about talking to your spouse, your fiance, your, your relationship partners, um, ab about the people that are in their life of the opposite sex. The, the, the people that you need to figure out, is this an appropriate relationship or not? You have to figure out what's appropriate. Your context and your marriage is going to look different and you need to know what each other is comfortable with outside with relationships with the opposite sex. This is going to involve something that marriages aren't always the best at. You have to listen to each other. Shut your mouth. Listen. You're going to have to listen to each other's hearts. And I would encourage you, avoid traveling being in your home or someone else's home and eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. I, I want to encourage you to avoid problematic people. And if you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, well, then who's problematic? You already know who's problematic. You know the person that you could go left to your desk, but you go right because you just want to see them. You, you know the problematic person who you go out of your way to sit by because they tell you the nice things you wish you heard at home. You already know the person that you're trying to make sure you go to the pool party they go to, you go to the beach when they do, you know the problematic people that are gonna cause you to mess up. I don't have to define that for you. You're smart enough to know that because you're already asking the question. If that's the person who comes up in your head, they're problematic. That's it, it's that easy. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes we can be blind to this. I'm just being upfront. Sometimes we miss things in this world, which is honestly why we need to talk about it. My wife and I, we are very transparent in this part of our relationship. Um, we always know who we are with and where we are. That is a common conversation for us. 
She knows, I know. It's very clear because we see things that the other doesn't. For almost 18 years of marriage, we have said to each other, I, I don't know what it is about, and it's a person, but they, they just make me uncomfortable when I see them with you. There's something that just seems off about the way that they look or that linger or that tone or something feels off. And you could be like, oh, you're so jealous. It's not that. I, I've learned sometimes these are Holy Spirit things that make me go, uh, that person is a problem. It's not that I don't trust my wife. It's that there's something off there. We come up with guardrails together so that we know how each other is operating with the opposite sex. That's a healthy thing, which leads to our second guardrail. Tell them about it. Tell them about it. There can be no secrets in your relationship. No secrets in your marriage. This is your life partner, the person you have agreed to walk to death next to and lying in secrecy have no place in any marriage. Not between God and his church, lying in secrecy is a no-go. In your marriage, lying in secrecy are a no-go. Both Eileen and I, we, we share everything on our phones as well. So our calendars are shared. She knows when I'm going, where I'm going to. Um, all of our uh, web history is shared. No private things. It's all out there for each other to see. Um, I, we keep Find My iPhone on so that we can always kind of have an idea of, oh, well, you're late from this. Are you okay? What's happening? And we can kind of see where each other's at. Um, it's actually pretty funny. I told you I just got back from Colorado and while I was out there, um, my wife had texted me a couple times and I just didn't respond. And I didn't respond because when I'm on the golf course or I'm playing disc golf, I put my phone in my bag and I ignore everything because I'm there to compete and win. You know, I want to do it. And so uh, I don't want to be distracted. And there came a moment where she didn't hear back from me for a certain period of time when she normally would have. So she jumps on to find my iPhone to make sure I'm okay. And I then began to get panic texts that says, are you okay? I see you in the Colorado River. I'm, I'm in the river. And I laughed hysterically after my round and I lost because um, I got back to her and said, actually, I was. Look, I was in the river because I threw a disc in there. And we laughed hysterically because the one time she chooses to use this to make sure I'm okay, I'm in the middle of the river trying to figure out what to do. You might be thinking, Jimmy, this is so excessive. What are you, like 13? That you can't have, you know, any sort of privacy or freedoms or anything like that? Listen, neither my wife or I have ever done anything to he each other that would make us mistrust each other. Not one thing, but I also don't want anything to ever happen that would bring us to a place of mistrusting or worrying about the fidelity of our marriage. I'll tell you what, the guardrails that we set up may seem excessive, but they have allowed us to keep trust, fidelity, loyalty so much easier to maintain and encourage in our marriage. And I'm fine with excessive because I've got 18 years of the best marriage under my belt that I can't wait for the next 18. If that's what it takes, I'll do it every single day. What do you have to hide? Right, what do you have to hide? 
If you ever find yourself that you're in a place where you're hesitant to tell your spouse something, this should send alarms off in every place of your life. This should send up flares that get your attention. And this includes, you know, those conversations you might have with someone on Facebook Messenger so that no one else knows you're having them. And you look forward to that a little bit more than maybe you should have. Maybe, maybe it's that secret. It's only pornography every once in a while. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's that longer walk you take with your dog around the neighborhood, so hoping that neighbor is out. If you keep secrets, you will lie not to be found out, and secrets and lies will kill your marriage. There's no faster way to tank it than breaking trust. Don't do it. Be transparent. Talk about it and then tell them about where and what is happening. And the last guardrail is simply this, tell somebody. I need you to tell somebody. When you feel your heart starting to drift, you have to say what's happening out loud. Not like, well, I prayed about it and I told God. No, 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 I need you out loud with your words to say something out loud, to speak out your feelings, to speak out your thoughts, usually diffuses what you're thinking. Have you, ever, have you ever thought something, said it out loud, and as the words were coming out of your mouth, you heard them, and you went, am I an idiot? What? Why would I ever think that was okay? Why would I ever think that was a good idea? Sometimes we just need to hear how dumb our thoughts are. But if you feel your heart starting to drift, you need to get this out loud. And, and yes, this might not be your spouse right away. It might not be your spouse right away, but it needs to be a trusted friend that you know you can go to who will hear you, pray with you, and point you back to Jesus, not to a painted lion in a ditch. And, and even though this is like common sense and I shouldn't have to say it, the person that you go to should not be someone of the opposite sex. The person that you go to, it, unless unless it's a professional counselor, professional therapist, this is where their license is. Go get that help, that's a trusted person. But if they don't have the license, they're not a counselor and you don't need to see them. And you're not a counselor to listen to the person of the opposite sex lay that stuff on you. That's not who you are, unless you're a counselor. You have to get this off your chest and say it out loud to be held accountable to it. And some sexual history that we have and baggage we have needs to be worked through with good counselors before we can ever start to deal with it in the context of our marriage. You need that. Go get that help if you need it. It's so important. But make sure that you have someone trusted on speed dial so that when your heart drifts, it can't go far. That it gets bumped up against a guardrail because you've said it out loud. Listen at Crossbridge. Personally, I believe that God has created sex as this amazing gift to be celebrated, not to be hidden, not to be secret, not to be, oh, it's a bad thing. What a great gift God has given us to be celebrated and experienced in the context of a covenant relationship, marriage. Our sexuality is so important to who we are, which is why these guardrails are so important and our culture will push back on them every time you set them up. You prude, you prude. That's fine. I've got 18 years to say it was worth it. It's so worth it. So 
I just wonder for you and for me as we close, if you're married, how are you guarding your fidelity? And if you haven't sat down and actually talked about this with your spouse, do it today. I know it might be awkward if you've never done it, but you need to do it now because if you don't, how much will you drift? It's not worth it. Start today. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you're hiding secrets, whether you're married or single, confess them. Confess those secrets. Do not live in the dark. The enemy, Satan, loves to steal, to kill, to destroy, and to make you feel alone in the dark. And the Holy Spirit fills us with light so that we would be exposed not to be shamed, but to be filled because our value comes from what we're filled with. That's who we are. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's value. And don't let the enemy take that from you and shame you to think you're all alone. No one else deals with this. They do, but you've got to get it out to someone you trust who will point you to Jesus. And if you are single, who is it that's in your life right now that is building you up, that is supporting you, that is encouraging you, that they are guarding your sexuality right alongside you in a world that's grabbing to steal it and they're planning for it? Who's encouraging you? And so we all have a choice today. Will we flee from or will we flirt with? What choice will you make? In setting up guardrails, you will not be celebrated. I know that our culture wants you to flirt. They want you to fail. But you're going to have a much better story to tell. You will have a much better story to tell your kids, your grandkids, and the story they tell about you will look different than everyone else around. And you get to say, why? Because I am valuable, you are valuable, and Jesus loves us. It's worth guarding our sexuality. So will you flee or will you flirt with? What guardrails do you have to set you up to do this? Crossbridge, I love you, and I pray great blessings over you, your sexuality, your marriages, or future marriages, that God would give you wholeness in this area, and where there's brokenness, would you ask God for restoration, for healing. May God bless you as you set up guardrails this week. We're so glad you joined us today. We believe that steps of faith happen in community, and we would love for you to connect and grow with us in a small group at Crossbridge. Our chat hosts are dropping a link in the chat now so you can see all the virtual and in-person groups we have available. If you have questions or you're not sure what group is best for you, shoot us a message at prayer at crossbridgecc.org. We can't wait to help you connect. We are all about loving God, loving people, and serving the world. If you want to give to help further that mission, you can head over to crossbridgecc.org give for all the ways that you can help contribute.